0: Today, on The Winning Walk, with Dr. Ed Young.
1: And I can tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If marriages begin to operate on the basis of God's principles, that marriage may be a tundra, North Pole marriage, but it will soon be right in the middle of Hawaii. If you want to build a love that will last a lifetime, wherever you are in your marriage, if you're single, this is how you build a marriage in the future. Do you want a love that lasts for a lifetime? This is how it operates.
0: The truth is, God can give your marriage a new beginning. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today Dr. Young begins a message called, Thou shalt begin again and again, where he shares how you can lean into grace so that your past mistakes don't define your future. That's coming up on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young in just a moment. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Begin Again and Again.
1: In the summer of the year 2000, CBS is going to begin a series, a 13-week series called Survival. In this series, it will depict 16 men and women who will be on a deserted island near Barneo in the China Sea, and they will have to live there for 13 weeks together in community. This is a real-life story. It's not a, 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 it's a plot, but it actually happens. And they will film these 16 volunteers 24 hours a day, and they will cut out a segment which they will produce. They'll call it Survival because the whole bottom line is they will have to provide their own food, they'll have to build their own shelter, and they'll have to work out a relationship in community on that deserted island with one another. Now, there's one catch to this they have to cooperate to survive, but yet each week they will vote, and one of them will be thrown off the island. The last one remains, will get a million dollars. And by the way, today on the internet, they're taking volunteers and they've had thousands of people who've asked to be a part of this million dollar sweepstake called survival on this little deserted island, not far from Barneo. Now I will tell you, they have more than enough mercenaries and big game hunters who already replied and, and they will not take any more of those. But anybody else wants to apply you can do it right now today and be a part of this 13-week series called survival now there's another survival series going on have you noticed it it's called marriage (laughs) it's where two individuals come together they have to provide food and shelter and they have to get in relationship with one another and communicate with one another And the difference in survival in marriage and survival in this ABC TV series is that either you both win or you both lose. It's not the idea that I beat you or you beat me and you're in competition with your mate. It's not just survival, but it's more than that. It's survival with a meaning. And that's what marriage is all about. Two people coming together for food and shelter and a relationship in community with one another. In fact, all of life is about relationship. It's about a right relationship with God, a right relationship with ourselves, a right relationship with others, especially and particularly our mate if we are married. But as we look at statistics today, we say the survival rate for marriage is not very good. If I told you that after this service we'd all get an automobile, we would drive downtown together, and let's meet downtown right in the middle of the city, say the the Exxon building, we'd all get in our car and go downtown. But if I told you that 50% of those driving downtown after this service would be in an accident that would harm you and affect you for the rest of your life, I don't know about you, but I would drive rather casually and gingerly, and I'd plan out the trip and I would go methodically. But I can tell you that 50% of the people who say I do in America today, they can count on not surviving marriage. And the divorce leaves scars that affect everybody who has been through one, and that would be probably 50% of the people here today. It will affect everybody that has been through one for the rest of your life or the rest of my life now somebody would say my marriage is not going to survive and we have all kinds of marriages represented here today we had some marriages I will call Hawaii marriages warm romantic growing beautiful man hammocks I mean I mean an Hawaii marriage is great and there are a lot of people who have an Hawaii marriage Others would have what I call a Colorado marriage. (laughs) Yeah, it's a marriage where it's cold in the winter. You can't go outside, the snow, the wind, the sleet. It is vicious, the electricity goes off, the heat not working, you can't sleep. Man, it's just bitter cold. But in the summertime in Colorado, it's beautiful. The airs are crisp. It's great. The the view is fabulous. So some marriages are up and down, cold and warm, cold and warm, sort of average, lukewarm, you know, uh, an average. By the way, I hate the word average. Average is the worst, the best, the best, the worst. If anybody says you're average, I always get mad at that. You want to either be a below or above. But there are a lot of Colorado marriages. And there's some marriages here today we would call the north pole marriage <laughs> you know it's, it's the tundra hard no emotions metallic mechanical dead lifeless boring just an endurance battle but regardless of where your marriage is today i want us to talk about survival more than survival More than just carrying on, more just going along in order to get along, but survival with meaning, with punch, with depth, with vitality. That's what we're talking about, a successful, dynamic marriage. Now, if you want to look at a marriage that didn't have a chance, look at the biblical example that I read a little bit of. Let me give you a marriage that you'd say, no way. No way this marriage would survive. And primarily, we're gonna talk about the relationship between Jacob, Big Jake, and Leah. Remember how this marriage started. Uh, I-, I want you to just think about it. Here is Jacob, whose name means cheater, supplanter. What if your name meant swindler? Hello, swindler, how are you? <laughs> uh, uh, hello, con artist, hello, hello, slick. You know, that's what Jacob's name meant. And we know that Jacob had fleeced his older brother out of the inheritance of his father. In other words, got his father in modern day to sign a will that left him 90% of the state, you know, shysted his own father in cooperation with his mother, living up to his name, shyster, con artist, slick. And so we have Jacob now is running for his life from his brother, his older brother, And now he goes to a well. He sees a girl that is absolutely knocked out. The Bible says she was very shapely. That's the word in the Hebrew. Isn't that great? We understand that. He sees Rachel. And he goes over and kisses her the first time he sees her. This is biblical authority for kissing on the first date. (laughs) Absolutely. It says he goes over and he kisses her. And then he goes home and he begins to work for her father and says, I want, to, I want her to be my wife. And Laban says, you'll have to work seven years to get my daughter Rachel. And so he works seven years for her hand. And then there's one great little romantic verse in there I really like. This is a great verse. It says... Jacob so loved Rachel that the seven years seemed like a day. (laughs) Isn't that great? I mean, just, it just went by. He was so in love with Rachel in that great verse. And then the marriage took place. They had a celebration. A typical Jewish style and they, they had all the wine and they were drinking. They all were just you having a wonderful time and, and then the, the bride and her veil, they go out and Jacob takes his bride out and, and they spend the night together. The, the, the marriage is consummated and the next morning he wakes up and looks over there in the bed and I read that verse to you, but I read it sort of generic-like so you wouldn't pick it up early. And Jacob, who must have a terrific hangover, wakes up in the bed and looks over there and he says, did you get it? Behold, it was Leah! Not Rachel, the one he'd worked for for 70 years. Behold, it was Leah. I love that. The Bible is really terrific, folks. You should read it. uh, And and he looks over there and you're talking about sobering up in the morning. I mean, that will do it and he goes out to Laban, his new father-in-law, and says, what kind of deal is this? You have conned me. <laughs> what goes around comes around. Doesn't you, know? you have conned me. Mr. Slick tells his father-in-law, you have conned me. His father-in-law said, now wait a minute. We have tradition. The laws of the land say you have to marry the older before you marry the younger. And so said, if you'll work seven years, I'll give you Rachel. Now, don't be misled here. He didn't have to work seven more years before he married Rachel. Read it carefully, he he lived with Leah for one week and then he married Rachel and worked for seven years until he officially had her as his wife, but they were married a week after he married Leah. Now, this marriage with Leah, could you have a poorer beginning than that? It gets more complex and more complicated. Because you remember that Laban gave Leah a handmaid and Laban gave Rachel a handmaid. Now you have Bilhah and Zophah, two maids that are living in communion in family with these two wives of Jacob. And we read the scripture that Jacob did not love Leah. Didn't you see that verse? Jacob did not love Leah. That's how the marriage began. And we see why he didn't love Leah. The Bible says she was weak-eyed. It says, Rachel was shapely and Leah was weak-eyed. Doesn't mean she didn't see very well. It meant that she didn't have that glow in her eyes. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there was a zip, a a glow, a a joy, a, a charisma, a light. She didn't have light in her eyes. That was it. And so the homely older sister married first through duplicity and chicanery, and then here comes magnificent Rachel, the younger sister who had it all, and they get in relationship together in a family, and guess what happens then? Leah begins to have children. She has a son and another son and another son and another son, and Leah has four boys back to back. Bang, 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 bang. Rachel goes to Jacob and says, Jake, what kind of deal is this? <laughs> my sister's having all of your children. And Jacob says, am I God? I mean, I, I'm not in charge of this thing, I'm doing my part. <laughs> and finally, Rachel says, I'll tell you what, I must have a child, so she took her handmaid, and she took Zilpah, her handmaid, and brought the handmaid and that was the law of the day. And Jacob conceived by her handmaid and when the baby was born, Rachel would literally take the baby and it would be born on her knees and it would become as it were her own child. And so the handmaid of Rachel had two boys. And now Rachel says to Leah, I'm catching up. I'm having as much prestige with our husband as you are having now. And now Leah gets worried because she hasn't conceived lately. And so Leah says, I'd better bring in my handmaid. And she brings in Bilhah and Jacob has two sons by Bilhah. Can you think of a poorer beginning for a marriage than this? Now Jacob's living with four women and all of them are very, very unhappy and very, very competitive. And then about this time, Leah conceives again and she has two sons and a daughter. And then about this time, out of the blue, it says, God reflected his love on Rachel, and Rachel has a boy. Remember, that's Joseph. And Rachel has another boy named Benjamin, but Rachel dies at the birth of Benjamin. Now, do you see what kind of home this is? Can you think of a situation more complex, more impossible, where there is no way for any relationship to survive, especially and particularly the relationship between Leah and Jacob. Right? Right? Sure. And so we see a terrible beginning. You can't picture a marriage that has a worse beginning than this marriage, you can't describe it. Even in our modern-day, mixed-up, confused society, you just can't plan anything with a more terrible beginning than this beginning. What was the problem? It was built on deception. I mean, it was deception from the beginning. Now, there are some people here who say, you know, my marriage was built on deception. There are people here who, as we would say, it had to get married. Pregnancy was there at the beginning. There are people here that when you get married and the bride said, boy, I didn't have the wedding I wanted to have, you know, we didn't start off right. And there are people here who, who his mother or, or her daddy, or, or you didn't get along at the beginning. There are people here who would say, I was trapped, I was deceived in the beginning. You know, I didn't know what I was getting. I mean, look, look what I've ended up with. When we dated, she said she loved stock car racing and country music. <laughs> and, and now she wants ballet and the symphony. Man, this is not the gal I married. And here's the guy we were dating, he loved to travel. He talked about going around the world and now I'm ready to go when he gets car sick and we drive around the block. I mean, I didn't get what I bargained for. And in the courtship, we present all of our best. We look our best. We dress our best. We, we think. We, we, we're considered. We do all those things. And we say, boy, this is who I am. This is what you'll get. I want you to look at this, Joe Beth. I mean, you've never seen a better guy than this. But the truth is, there's some deception. There's some people here who say, you know, I was my mate's second choice, a third choice, or fourth choice, or... Or, you know, I I, I wasn't the one that I would have married. And you think back as you've been married for a while and you say, you know, I should have waited or I should have moved or I shouldn't have done this or I should have done this or I ought to have done this. Or, you know, we go back and we say, boy, I'm telling you, there was deception involved when I got married. And a lot of people start off like that. There's some deception in all marital relationships, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to shock you. I don't want to shock you. There was deception. Also, look at this marriage. There was a power struggle. You talk about a power struggle. You put two wives, two concubines in a home together and they're competing for having children, which was the honored thing in that society. I mean, they're going each other tooth and tongue. Can you imagine all that was going on in that home? What a power struggle. Now, there are some sociologists who are at University of Washington And they have come up with a thesis that they can predict early in a marriage within by looking at a marriage for three minutes, get this, whether or not that marriage will be successful or not. Can you believe that? That's what they say. And they have reams of studies that they have done, and it has some validity to it. They said, let me look at a couple and listen to them argue and debate, and we can predict whether or not their marriage is going to make it. You know what they base it on? They say, if first of all, if the husband comes on strong with a problem and the wife comes back and defends herself and attacks the husband, and then the husband gets belligerent, he sa- they say, you can book it. That marriage is not going to make it. And they say it is very important as to how you communicate, how you debate, and how you argue, and how you fight. That is the best barometer as to whether or not a marriage will be successful or not. For example, if, if the husband comes in late for dinner and the wife says, you're always late for dinner. I can't count on you. You're not reliable. You do this to me all the time. If that is her rep- Her response and that's the way he she deals with that situation that's one thing but if she says tone of voice inflection it really upsets me I want you to know when you come in late you see it's what we say how we communicate and when we argue we deal we attack not the person but we attack the problem see We don't attack the person, we don't use those terminal words like every time, all the time, always. You know, we don't use those words. We deal with a problem within that environment. And they say, you can tell whether a marriage is gonna make it or not by listening to couples fight and argue and debate. And their results have been absolutely astounding in predicting what's gonna happen to that marriage. But you look at the marriage between Leah and Jacob, It says, Jacob didn't love Leah. Leah knew she wasn't loved. It had a terrible beginning. It was built on deception. And and more than that, there was a power struggle going on in that relationship between Jake and those four women and all the children that were being born like bang, bang, bang until 12 were born in the home, 12 sons, at least one daughter. And here they were. Now, but this marriage that had a... Terrible beginning has a terrific ending. This marriage between Leah and Jacob finished strong. You say, well, how in the world do I know that? By studying the story and reading the Bible. Because you see, there's a point there in the 30th chapter of Genesis and in the first verse. It says clearly that Rachel is jealous of Leah. And therefore, evidently, Leah and Jacob begin to get some things together. Jacob is jealous of Leah. And then more than that, when they decide to pick up all their family and all their flocks and to move back to to Gideon, to move back home to Jacob's homeland, we see that Big Jake is talking to Leah and Rachel, both his wives, and they both came into conference together as to making that decision. So we see Leah now has some prominence in the eyes of her husband. And more than that, we see that when Rachel died, she is buried near Bethlehem. But when Leah died, she is buried with Jacob in the cave of Machpelah where Abraham and all the others are buried. Abraham and Isaac are buried. So we see Leah had a favored position with her husband in where she was buried. She alone was buried with him. And more important than that, when you look at the Messianic strain for the Son of God, where Jesus came in the world, the Messianic strain came not through the sons of Rachel, but through Judah, the son of Leah, in which the Messiah was born. So we see this marriage that started a terrible beginning had a terrific ending. Now there are some lessons we can learn from this very practical lessons from this story that is (laughs) pre-Christian. Do you get that? Pre-Christian. You know the phrase progressive revelation? Okay. That's theology behind us. What are some lessons we can learn? Bad beginnings are not decisive in a marriage. Bad beginnings are not decisive in marriage. Some people go back and say, boy, we had this bad beginning back there. It's no wonder we're not going to survive. We're not, oh no, bad beginnings are never decisive in anything, in anything. And then we have to move and see, well, bad beginnings are not decisive. But you don't know about my marriage. Someone here may say, you know, I don't know if I've ever been in love with my mate. Someone else would say, well, if I've been in love, I have fallen out of love with my mate. Some of them would say, well, you know, there's no love there. We have a tundra, uh, arctic circle kind of marriage, and if there's been love there, it is dead, it is buried, it is cold, it is indifferent. We're not going to survive. We have a North Pole marriage. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen if i were a pharmacist and i could mix up all the ingredients and give you a pill and i said you take this pill and i guarantee that you will have a love that will last a lifetime would you take the pill i guarantee you'll have a love that'll last a lifetime if this is not true This ingredient, this supernatural formula I'm gonna give you that you can take your marriage wherever it is today. If it's Hawaii, man, it'll get more tropical. If it's Colorado, man, it won't be as cold. If it's the tundra of the North Circle, it will live again. I'll stake everything I have, everything I've ever believed, everything I've ever done on the principles that a marriage can come alive and can be born again and love can be recreated It can happen to any and everybody here if you'll take this supernatural prescription. You say, well, how can you be so dogmatic? I can be dogmatic because I believe this book and I know this book is always, every syllable of it, true truth. That's why I know this. So if you want a love that will last a lifetime, if you want to move from a tundra kind of marriage to at least a Colorado marriage and all the way to an Hawaii marriage, you just follow this prescription, and on the authority of God Himself, I guarantee that your marriage will live again. Is that being absolute enough, dogmatic enough, empirical enough? Is the thesis clear? If you want to build a love that will last a lifetime, wherever you are in your marriage, if you're single, this is how you build a marriage in the future. This is the way you do it. There are six ingredients. First of all, Romans chapter number 15. Romans 15 verse 7. Now, if you do not want to build a love that'll last a lifetime, don't pay any attention to this. Romans 15, verse 7. This is not original with me. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. The first word in this formula is the word acceptance. Acceptance. I've been told that 70% of all people who are married, married opposites. I would guess that your mate is the very opposite of you. An illustration of this. I would say today if you're married that one of you is an early riser and one of you stays up late and likes to sleep late. I just make that as a wild guess. I would say if you're married today that one of you is a big spender and one of you is a Scrooge. I'll just make that as a wild guess. Like I said last week, when, when, the, when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. And, and, and I just guess that We marry opposites. That's what happens to us. I would guess that one of you can make a decision like this. Man, you can make a decision. The other one can hard, that's a hard time making a decision. You go into a restaurant and the other one say, well, you know, let me see, do you have another menu? I want, No, I don't want this. I, you know. I'd say one of you likes to be on time and you work at getting on time and the other one says, what is it, Thursday? We'll, we'll be there. I mean, <laughs> you don't have any sense about being on time. I would say that opposites attract Now the interesting thing about all this, the thing that attracted you that was different from you, here is somebody who is so spontaneous that you saw in courtship and you are so methodical, that spontaneity that attracted you, now I'm telling you, it disturbs you because you like to dot every I and cross every T. So in marriage, Those things that attracted us in dating and marriage when you live with them day after day after day and month after month and year after year, they become points of controversy. See? It's amazing, isn't it? It's like the fellow who took his new bride's hand and said, now that we're married, you have some little deficit that I would like to point out to you. (laughs) And she said, You know, I would be happy for you to do that because it's those little deficits who kept me from getting a better husband. (laughs) Or like the guy who said, I married Miss Wright. I married Miss Wright, but I didn't know her first name was always. (laughs) So what I am saying There has to be acceptance. That's the first formula, the first ingredient for this supernatural thing that we must take for our marriage to be alive or our marriage to live again. That is acceptance. You're different from your wife, from your husband, just accept it. It's not that you're right or he's right or she's right. Nobody's right, you're just different. And if you were the same, one of you would be unnecessary. So, the first word is the word acceptance. The Bible says, accept one another. Okay? The next part of the ingredient, I want you to look, if you would, to 1 Peter uh, chapter number 1, verse 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. The first ingredient is what? Acceptance. acceptance. I want to make sure we're following. The second one, verse 22, 1 Peter. Verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. The second word is the word attention. Attention, acceptance, attention. How do you spell love? A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N, that's how you spell love, attention. Attention. You have to pay attention to the one you love. You have to give attention to the one you love. When I was a child, my, my folks said when I was very little and anybody would come over the house, I'd want to show them how I could do a somersault. Man, I could do it, and then I wanted to show them how I could do a handstand. Then I wanted to show them how I could sing. Then I wanted to show them how I could hang by my feet from the trapeze in the backyard. And my folks said everybody would come. I always was on stage doing all these things, trying to get everybody's attention. Don't sit there so piously. You were the same way. You see, we all have different ways of asking for attention and to show that you care, to show that you love for someone, you have to give them attention. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's the little things that mean a lot. little things that mean a lot. Attention. My wife is just Phi Beta Kappa in showing attention and letting you know she cares. Remember Smiley? Gotta get to the first tape if you forgot Smiley. Uh, th- this morning, you know, I went in and there on the, uh, the lid on the commode was smiley. I don't know what that meant. See how much I love you. Remember that one? Uh, attention, pay attention. I-, I had a guy who broke up with a girl in our church and they looked like they were perfectly suited for one another. I said, what happened? He said, I didn't pay attention. I got busy doing this and busy doing that and over here doing that involved that. I didn't pay attention. So the next word is. We have to love one another. And you spell love, attention. So the first word is? The second word is? All right, let's look at another thing in our ingredient. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 21. That chapter ought to be well marked. Ephesians 5, verse 21. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is a passage that everybody gets upset again. Back yet, and all the feminists say, it says the wives are to be submissive to the husband. Oh, that's a, that's a terrible thing. Read that passage, ladies and gentlemen. If you can read, it also says the husbands are to be submissive to the wives. Did you know that? The husband is to be submissive and the wife is to be submissive. And that's what it says. We are to submit to one another. We are to be subject to one another. And the operative word here is the word adjustment. We're to adjust to one another. You know, the idea that you're going to change your mate, you're not going to change your mate. You may pressure your mate and coerce your mate and threaten your mate, but you're not going to change your mate. Only God can change somebody. You can't change anybody. You you can do everything you want to do. You can present it logically or illogically. You can work from the right brain or the left brain. What we have to do is to adjust to one another. Adjust to her idiosyncrasies. Adjust, she has to adjust to your peculiarities. Adjust to her schedule. You adjust to his. See, it's a matter of adjustment. And some people go through life, they're unwilling to adjust to somebody else. People get divorced because they can't get, be adjusted to one another, and then you marry again, and you get more set in your ways than you were the first time. That's the reason the odds for divorce for a second marriage are greater than the odds for divorce in a first marriage. There has to be adjustment. All right, look at the next thing. It's just right across the page there. Look at Ephesians chapter number four verse 32. It says, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted and forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And the operative word there is amnesty. We've already dealt with this. There has to be forgiveness. You forgive one another. Why? There's so much I have to be forgiven for. I don't know about you, there are miles that I had to be forgiven for, and therefore how easy it should be for me to forgive my mate, for you to forgive your mate. There has to be amnesty, there has to be time out. There has to be time out time. Amnesty there in the relationship. You have to be forgiving. Forgiving, All right? Look at the next word here. Uh, just, if you would, look in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. The operative word here is the word appreciation. What happens when something appreciates? It increases in value, right? You buy a piece of property, it appreciates. Let me tell you, you praise your mate. You compliment your mate. You say, well, how often do I have to do it? Hebrews chapter 3 says, do it every day. We don't need to nag, we need to brag. We don't need to poke, we need to stroke. Appreciation is such a rare, rare thing today. Why? Because depreciation is so prominent. We can be so critical, so biting, so narrow, so provincial, so selfish, so egotistical, so superior, and we just cut and and, and knife and nag and move out and attack. If a marriage is to be alive is to grow, there has to be appreciation for one another, and we have to express it in a myriad of different ways. The operative word here, the fifth word, is the word appreciation. Now, I want you to look at the next one as we go through this. Uh, take your Bibles, you will look at Romans 16:16. 16, 16. Romans 16:16. 16, 16. Verse 16 says. Greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> and their operative word is the word affection. You have to show affection. As food is to your body, if you're to be nourished, so a touch and physical expressions of love is to your psyche, to your wholeness, to your personality. So it's important that we show affection to our mate. It's important we let our mate know that we love them, we care for them, we want to physically hold them, that this is the love-making process that needs to be a part of marriage. So you have six ingredients that we move through here that God says... I guarantee will make your marriage come alive, and the word "affection here is a very, very important word. Are you affectionate toward your mate? Now do you think any marriage, any relationship with two individuals, they begin to put these words in practice. Let's see if you remember them. The first word is, what's the first thing? <laughs> what acceptance? Accept one another. The second word? <laughs> Attention. Love one another. You spell love, attention. Third word? Adjustment. What? Adjustment. Adjustment. Adjust, submit to one another. Fourth word? Amnesty. amnesty. Forgive one another. Hey, time out. Let's move on. And by the way, when you're fighting, you have to fight fair. Don't go back and pick up, oh, this over here and that over there and that over there. Deal with the issue at hand exclusively. There has to be amnesty. What's the fifth word? Appreciation. Man, appreciate one another, thank one another, praise one another, look for the little things, be thoughtful about one another. Boy, that will just do dynamite for any relationship. And what's the last word? Affection. Affection. If somebody says, well, I don't know about this affection, we're gonna deal with this in the future, but I want you to look over, just turn a few pages over to uh, 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 7, let me show you what these words mean. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3, it says, Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also to the husband. Sex is a legitimate need and it must not be ignored. That's what the Bible says. Sex is a legitimate need and it must not be ignored. That's what the Bible says. God invented it. God gave it to us. We get a lot of counsel from secular authorities. It's about time we get some biblical counsel so we can understand this beautiful sacred gift of human sexuality in marriage. Sex is not to be ignored. That's what the first part of the verse says. Look at the next part of the verse, it says, "'The wife does not have authority over her own body, "'but the husband does, "'and likewise also the husband does not have authority "'over his own body, but the wife does. Sex is for the mutual benefit of the husband and the mutual benefit of the wife. That's what God says. Look at the third thing here. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again lest Satan Tempt you because of your lack of self-control sex is a spiritual responsibility you mean like prayer mm-hmm. Bible study mm-hmm. worship well mm-hmm. I'd never say see- there it is it is a spiritual responsibility and I can tell you something ladies and gentlemen If marriages begin to operate on the basis of God's principles, that marriage may be a tundra North Pole marriage, but it will soon be right in the middle of Hawaii. God says it. It is an absolute slam dunk, empirical, undebatable guarantee. It's just what kind of marriage do you want? Do you want a love that lasts for a lifetime? This is how it operates. I want to ask everybody, no one to move, to bow your head. We're going to do something a little different today. Anyone who moves, I can hit a running target because good as I can one sitting still. <laughs> I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody, every head bowed, every eye closed. Choir, platform, everybody. Now, if you are seated with your wife or your husband, would you reach over and take his or her hand? If you're seated with your wife or your husband, I'm not seated with my wife, but I'm going to imagine I'm holding Beth's hand up here. And if you're single, you just imagine that you are holding the hand of your wife or husband-to-be. Okay? Now, in this posture, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to remind you of a scripture. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your sins one to another. And I want to help you to do that right now. And I want to go through this list in a spirit of prayer and you pray it silently and you just say, Lord, forgive me when I've not accepted my bride, my husband, as I should. Forgive me when I've not paid attention I haven't loved as I should. Help me to make those adjustments that I need to make in my marriage. Lord, I want amnesty to come in my marriage, my relationship with this this guy, this gal. I want to forgive her. I want her to forgive me. And Lord, help me to be appreciative and to express that appreciation day after day after day. And Lord, teach me affection, real affection, real love, real intimacy, because we know that gives nourishment and wholeness and healing to this relationship. And Lord, if that has grown dull or dim or died, may we commit together now to work at it. Affection. You confess your sin to God, and now holding the hand of your mate, and now I want you to pray for one another. You pray for your wife, if you're holding her hand, or your husband, if you're holding his hand. Or you pray for the wife or the husband that you might have one day and say, Lord, I pray for this person, and I pray that I'll be the kind of mate, the kind of partner, the kind of partner which together we can build a relationship that will not survive, but a relationship that will thrive, a love that will last a lifetime.
0: Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Well, Dr. Young, you talked today about the importance of communication in marriage. Sometimes it's what we don't say. It's the things we don't talk about. We communicate to our spouse that it's not important enough for me to spend any time talking about that.
1: Right. And and females, particularly, Wayne, like details. My, my, My kids call my wife Detalia. (laughs) <laughs> because she will tell you more than you want to know And men tend to be bottom line kind of people mm-hmm. And I would say to all the guys listening out there Learn to listen Listen to your wife uh, Listen to those details And also understand she wants some details to you I'll come in sometimes she would say how'd things go today I said fine She said, no, no, tell me, you know, what did you do? Well, you've already lived it it once. You don't want to talk about (laughs) it again. (laughs) No, I don't. But I've learned to go into some of those details and to listen to those details because a lot of times we just want to go home and just be quiet and just sit down and and read or or listen to the news or whatever we do uh, that makes us happy. But the bottom line is you have to understand your mate, how that mate is wired, male or female, and get in on their frequency.
0: And this will do a wonderful thing to help in the communication process. Mm, Boy, that's a, that's a uh, a great thing for us to think about. And not just think about it, but do something about it in our marriages.
1: Right. A lot of women marry the strong, silent type. And if that tends to be your personality as a male, let me say, wake up. Come out of the shell. Begin to work at sharing, and you'll discover you've got a wonderful sounding board in your mate. You've got someone who will tell you the truth, hopefully. You've got someone that will help you work through some things that uh, you need to work through in a way that you would never see them. Was it not for someone who loves you totally and completely and knows you better than anybody else? By the way, Wayne, this is how your mate becomes your best friend.
0: Yes, I was just thinking that it really builds a relationship of trust, doesn't it? Communication, a major ingredient of a marriage
1: that really works. You communicate with many, many ways, not just with words. You communicate by listening. You communicate with your ear. You communicate with your eyes. Your body language is very strong in communication. So all of these things make a marriage, guess what, Wayne, (laughs) sizzle. That's the word I like. That's
0: what God intends every marriage to have. All right. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We hope today's message has encouraged you to build your life on the proven truth of God's Word. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.